1: Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Igor Aronovich talks about diamonds. But first up, here's the news. Devil Milk. Researchers from the University of Sydney have found that milk from Tasmanian devils contains peptides that can kill microbes that are harmful to humans, such as antibiotic-resistant golden staph. The Tasmanian devil milk was collected at no doubt great personal risk by a wildlife park worker, Tim Faulkner. Here's an excerpt of ABC radio reporter Felicity Ogervie, speaking to Tim Faulkner at the Australian Wildlife Park at Gosford in New South Wales about milking devils.
0: It's similar to milking a cow, except you've got a much smaller teeth.
1: Antimicrobial peptides called catholicidins provide innate immune protection during the early life of Tasmanian devils and are expressed in the pouch lining, skin and milk of devil mothers, or dams. Devil milk has six immune-active peptides, where human milk only has one. Two of the six peptides have broad-spectrum antibacterial activity and are capable of killing human pathogens that regular antibiotics can't stop. These two peptides were also toxic to human cells, at levels seven times higher than would be used to kill bacteria and fungi. So maybe drink your antibiotic devil milkshakes in moderation. Another of the peptides is effective at stopping infections of fungi. Another two devil milk peptides were toxic to human cells at levels seven times higher than would be used to kill bacteria and fungi. So maybe hold off on the Tasmanian devil milkshakes. The other peptides didn't kill microbes in the lab, but are still believed to help the devils modulate their immune system as they develop in their mother's pouch. Tasmanian devils, like most marsupials, have a very short gestation period of under 35 days in the womb before being born undeveloped. The newborn devils crawl up their mother's fur into her pouch, where they suckle and grow for 80 days, until they're big enough to ride on her back. The mother's pouch, like the burrow she lives in, is home to a population of bacteria and fungi that the young devils' immune systems must learn to protect themselves from. Two peptides from Tamar wallaby milk have previously been shown to also be broad-spectrum microbe killers. The results suggest that drugs based on Tasmanian devil milk and wallaby milk could provide a new kind of antibiotic drug that's a defence against bacterial and fungal infections. The researchers have sequenced the devil genome with samples from devils at Taronga Zoo that died naturally and had the peptides synthesised by the company China Peptides. Synthesising the milk is more sustainable than trying to source more milk from the devils. The lead researcher of the project at Sydney University is Dr Emma Peel. Fans of the 1960s British TV show will recognise her name as identical to one of the lead characters, a spy trained as a scientist and martial artist, played by Diana Rigg. The paper was titled, Catholicitans in the Tasmanian Devil, Sarcophilus heresiae and was published in Nature Scientific Reports. Dr. Emma Peel will be looking at milk from other marsupials such as koalas next. And how do you milk a koala? My researchers unearthed a wonderful website called Mostly Just Words from Luke Dingle. Luke has a blog post called How to Milk a Koala which I'll link to in the show notes. Here's a sample. Luke, that's absurd. Koalas do not give milk, is what you might say, and you would be quite correct. Koalas do not give milk. You bloody well have to go and get it. If you think a koala is going to wander up to you and hand over a carton of koala milk, I'm afraid you are severely mistaken. Koalas are not cows or crocodiles. You can't just walk up to a koala and start filling a bucket with milk. No, you need the right tools. In other alternative milk news, an international team led by researchers at the Institute for Stem Cell Biology and Regenerative Medicine in Bangalore, India, have found that cockroach milk is a complete time-released meal. Not just any cockroach. Diploptera punctata, the Pacific beetle cockroach, is a cockroach that gives birth to live young and suckles them with nutritious white milk. Cockroach milk proteins contain three times more energy than cow's milk. Cockroach milk is a complete food with proteins, fats and sugars. All the essential amino acids for human nutrition are there. Not only is the milk a dense source of kilojoules and nutrients, it's also time-released. As the protein in the milk is digested by the baby cockroaches, the crystal releases more protein at an equivalent rate to continue the digestion. The team sequenced the genes responsible for producing the milk protein crystals to be able to replicate them in the lab using an engineered yeast culture. So you don't have to drink it fresh from the cockroach. You don't like the idea of bug milk? Don't forget, sweet honey is regurgitated by bees. The next step will be to find out if the cockroach protein crystals are toxic for humans. The paper was titled, Structure of a heterogeneous, Glycosylated lipid-bound, in vivo-grown protein crystal at atomic resolution from the viviparous cockroach, Diploptera punctata, and was published in the Journal of International Union of Crystallography, IUCR. What kind of milk are we using
0: now? Emergency backup supply. We're on the dog's milk. <laughs> dog's milk? <laughs> Nothing wrong with dog's milk. Full of goodness, full of vitamins, full of marabone jelly.
2: <laughs>
0: Lasts longer than any other type of milk, dog's milk. Why? No bugger a drink it. <laughs> Plus, of course, the advantage of dog's milk is that when it goes off, it tastes exactly the same as when it's fresh. <laughs>
1: You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network. And podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Diamonds. More than just a pretty rock? Igor Aranovich is an Associate Professor at the University of Technology, Sydney, in the School of Mathematical and Physical Sciences. I met him in his echoey office where you can hear the sound of the road outside. I began by asking him, what are diamonds good for other than jewellery?
2: Right, so diamonds actually can be good for quite a few things. So diamonds are very hard materials, so if you need to drill a core in the earth, all the drilling equipment is currently coated with diamonds, and uh, these are... Diamonds that can be grown—you don't need to use the natural diamonds. Uh, that's why, that's therefore they are very cheap. They can be used for even drilling equipment. Also, diamonds are chemically inert. So, if you think about diamonds to be used in your body as a biosensor or as a material that you want to interfere with acidic environment or very harsh environments, uh, diamond is really really good for it. It's chemically stable cannot be etched uh, using any other uh, chemical solution or any other acid. Um, another uh, very promising application of diamond is in the photonics realm. So as uh, you may heard, the diamonds are, uh, can appear in many colors. So you can have the famous pink diamonds And Australia is really uh, famous for it. They can be uh, digged down or dig up or from in Northern Territories and then therefore mostly used in jewelry but apart from the pink diamonds other colors like uh, yellow that are associated with nitrogen or blue with boron um, some of them can be used for technological applications like for instance biomarkers so you can make diamonds really really small maybe a thousand times thinner than your diameter of your hair and then because they're chemically inert you can put them in your body and use them as a tugger So you can attach a drug to it and uh, really move it from place to place and use it as a biosensor within your body. So this application is still not commercially available, but it's something that my group and other groups in the world are going towards.
1: And how do you grow your own diamonds?
2: So there are several ways to grow your own diamonds. The simple one is just using a microwave technology. So you can use a microwave source and a bit of a methane gas and a hydrogen gas. And together they will create a plasma and after about an hour you can get about a micron size diamond which is pretty good and this is commercially available these days and big companies like the Beers and um, Element 6 or Sumitomo are actually growing their own diamonds you can get crystals of about five to six millimeters these days millimeter cube just using this process that's called chemical vapor deposition
1: so there are the, the natural diamonds and the created diamonds and you're talking about the colors and they're, but then did you say they're not stable or they're chemically stable are they stable with their colors do they always stay the same color
2: Yeah so you both natural and lab grown diamonds are chemically stable the color can be modified and tuned so some effects called phosphorescence for example and these effects can be evident by, for example, shining an ultraviolet laser on a blue diamond and you will convert the blue to the red and the red will disappear uh, after about 10-15 minutes. And this method actually was used to uh, cheat people. So people would come to you and say, oh, look, I have this nice blue diamond. Is it real or not? And the person would then turn on his UV lamp and the diamond will convert to red. And uh, he would say to the customer, oh, no, it's a fake while in fact that's as a property of a diamond, and uh, the seller will then buy it very cheaply and have a very good diamond for a, a really cheap price.
1: I was thinking it could have gone the other way. I mean, if, if red diamonds are so rare, then you could sell it as a red diamond and then they won't know till after they've paid you.
2: <laughs> well, potentially, but uh, this effect is only temporarily, so unfortunately the red will go back to the blue after a while. If you do want red diamond, uh, you can uh, engineer them red, it's a bit harder, but you can, for example, introduce quite a bit of nitrogen using ion implantation, for example, where you take a simple diamond and you just bombard it with nitrogen atoms and you can dope, that's the process that's called doping, it's used, for example, in industry, in the computing industry where you bombard silicon with phosphorus atoms. And after you bombarded your diamond with nitrogen atoms, you can uh, anneal it, meaning you can put it in the furnace and heat it up to about 900 degrees under vacuum or under any ambient atmosphere, and your diamond will be red. And red is because it will have a lot of nitrogen vacancy centers, aggregates inside your diamond.
1: So is there a scientific or engineering value in the different colors of diamonds?
2: Yes, very much so. So if you're taking a small diamond and you're putting only one of these nitrogen vacancy centers, um, and you have a very good uh, microscope, then this nitrogen vacancy center can be your tugger. So red luminescence is, of course, very important because it doesn't interfere with a cell out of fluorescence, for example, in the biological realm. And you can use it as a tugger for, for biological sensing. You can also use the color for potentially new technologies like, for example, quantum communication. So you will use these colors to encode information, and then you can transfer this information using optical fibers. And currently there is no other source in the world that will give you this robust emission of single photons or of single light pulses apart from diamond. And this is where the color of diamond can actually be used in a technology or in a future technology.
1: So, if they're single photon sources, you'd be able to do all sorts of really interesting quantum physics experiments that they've been dreaming about doing for decades, that have just been weird theories.
2: Correct. So, uh, decades and decades and decades, well, since the 20s of the previous century, pretty much, and now they can become a reality. So, the, the one application that is already being commercialized is the quantum key distribution or quantum cryptography. And this is where your information is basically pretty much encoded into the single photons. So these days you use optical fibers to communicate from door to door or from computer to computer, but you use a lot of photons at a time. If you can minimize the number of photons that are flowing and really encode your information into only one photon, what it will mean is that you cannot um, hijack or you cannot hack this information. This is simply protected by the laws of quantum physics and you cannot clone a single photon, meaning you cannot split a single photon into two. Therefore, if you send uh, your information within or using only single photons one at a time then eavesdropper can never pick up this information without you noticing and this becomes absolutely secure. In fact Switzerland banks are already employing this and implementing it and also the Chinese government um, has put a lot of effort into quantum key distribution to connect between Shanghai, Beijing and even the satellites.
1: So they're able to send entangled photons over great distances with these secret messages that can be blocked that can't be read C-
2: correct so they they are able to send a signal over these large distances and it cannot be hacked or more precisely we should say it, it if it if it is hacked you will be able to detect it if your bank account is being hacked that's not always possible to actually know that it was hacked but if you have only single sources, yes, you can detect if it was hacked or not. And this is where this technology is becoming a reality. And of course, in the future, we really want to engineer quantum computers with the single photons. And for this, you need an array of identical photon sources that can be entangled, as you said correctly. And this is something that, again, Diamond is a very, very promising uh, platform to do, to realize.
1: And you talked about biological sensors. What sort of things will the diamonds be used in sensing?
2: So, diamonds can be thought about as uh, mini-MRI machines. So, these days when you go to a hospital and you need an MRI scan, you've been put in this massive cylinder and they're scanning uh, all your body, and the resolution is about several millimeters. Now, of course, if you want to use a sensor that will beat the MRI sensitivity, that will give you sub-millimeter resolution, and this is important, for example, for neural activities. So, your neurons in your brain are communicating with each other and. are at the order of magnitude of several microns. So that's 10 to the minus six, a thousand thousand times smaller than a millimeter. Mm. And so diamonds can be really used for this exact application. And again, this is because you can grow very small crystals and you can dope them and you can put these nitrogen vacancy centers inside and they can be bright enough to detect at these single levels and then you can put this nitrogen vacancy center in diamond into your body and it's biologically compatible and you can read out the signal in principle and so where it will come as a biological sensor is this mini or even nano MRI machines that are currently being developed.
1: So magnetic resonance imaging MRI is where there's a magnetic stimulation of the cells that produces photons of radio frequency, is that right?
2: So magnetic resonance imaging is where you use the magnetic domain or either the hydrogen atoms or the particular carbon isotope to image, for example, the brain or to image the activity. So typically people rely on the hydrogen. So in diamond this transition, this optical properties of the nitrogen vacancy are those that is very susceptible to magnetic field fluctuations. And so if you change your magnetic field environments, even by a very, very small amount, you will be able to detect it using optical means, not electronic means. And this is very important because that basically means that the technique is not invasive. So you can have a change in the fluorescence, for example, in the intensity of the light that is getting out of your diamond. And by this, you can know or infer the magnetic field around the diamond.
1: So you're saying that the diamonds are picking up the magnetic fluctuations In the cells, and then producing light that you can detect.
2: Exactly right. So the light, the intensity of the light will be depending on the magnetic field fluctuation and the electric field fluctuation around you, and you can then use just standard software technique to decode the information and create a map of the fluctuating fields around it.
1: And would you just be putting these sensors straight in the body, or would you need to be stimulating with a big magnetic field first?
2: You don't need to stimulate with a big magnetic field. You can actually put them in and. People already done experiments in tissues and uh, in mice and the technique is working fine. Of course, we are still not at the stage where you can swallow one liter of diamonds and uh, your brain will light up, but uh, that's something that we are working towards. And yes, the, the simple idea is that you will maybe attach a particular molecule or something that will direct the diamond to where you want to image it or you inject it exactly at the right spot, let's say in your arm or near near your brain uh, tissues and there image it there straight away.
1: So could this be picking up magnetic activity in the brain?
2: Yes, it definitely can, and what people are doing now as a preliminary experiments are simply growing neurons on top of a large diamond crystal. So for example, they have a diamond crystal maybe a millimeter in size and they grow neurons on top of it and then they can monitor the neuron communicating on top of the diamond. And this is a preliminary experiment before we inject the diamonds into the body.
1: That's amazing. So when might diamond-based sensing be used in medicine?
2: Okay, so Big companies are investing quite a lot of money into this, so maybe another decade or so. In principle, the preliminary experiments are all done and they're all working. And beauty of diamond is it's all reliable and very robust. You can pick up any diamond that you like, the only thing you need to do is to introduce the nitrogen inside, and then you will have your sensor. So. The, the real the real questions are now are from the biological point of view. One of them is, for example, how do you get rid of the diamonds from your body after you injected it and used it? And biologists and probably immunologists are really working towards. So I guess another decade or so, but the fundamental physics is there, the fundamental engineering is there. Now we only need to convince the medical doctors that it's actually a viable technology. But I think a fair question or a fair comparison is the MRI itself, I think. When the MRI was invented in the 40s, if I'm not wrong, it took about 15 or 20 years before it's kind of converted or became useful in in the medicine, in proper medicine. And it took another 20 or 30 years to actually make it um, proper and really available to any hospital. These days, MRI pretty much is available in any hospital. It's not an expensive technique anymore. So the nitrogen vacancy centers in Diamond or this Diamond technologies were discovered in uh, the end of 90s, and I think we are now at the 20 years mark where the technology should become available. So, maybe another decade or so.
1: And just finally, on the diamond biosensors, what's picking up the information from the diamonds and getting it to the doctors?
2: Right, so, what picking up the information is simple, a light signal. So, it's, it's like putting a dye in your body. These days, may, many dyes are used in medicine. You can inject the dye and see where the dye goes just by picking it with optical microscope, it's exactly the same with the diamond. You, you will inject it and you will uh, shine green light and that is not damaging to your tissues and you will collect the red signal from the diamond and that is what's being picked up. So it's the optical signal that you collect.
1: But that won't go through a skull, will it? <laughs> it
2: can, it can. Mm, yeah, no, probably not. Ah. <laughs> but um, there, are other ways, uh, there are other ways to do it, and um, you can do, uh, for example, using optical fibers. So these days, um, similar to the way they put cameras in your body just by injecting uh, a very thin uh, fiber with a camera at the end and monitoring, you can do it that way as well. So it's, it is possible. <laughs> well, I think the diamond toolkit for, for this magnetic sensing and single photon sources is an excellent toolkit for not only for emerging technologies but also for fundamental research and outreach and education. I think students these days should really engage into this type of research and look beyond the status quo of any material not only on the diamond and look for many other applications that you can uh, utilize and many materials today exist and used for a particular application but when you dig deeper they can actually be used for totally different things. I think there are quite a few examples with solar cells made from different new materials and with other technologies like lasers and and LEDs that are made from new materials that people didn't envision at the beginning. So I think really the key is to dig up into materials and look what they can be used for apart from the status quo that you read on Wikipedia. Well, Igor Aronovich, thank you very much. Thank you so much.
1: That was Associate Professor Igor Aronovich talking about diamonds and their uses in biotechnology, communications and computing at the University of Technology, Sydney. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your voice on radio? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. Send your contributions, helpful suggestions, and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and would like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The Patreon page is patreon.com slash diffusionradio. Check in production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network, including 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambuka Valley, and 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation Science 360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website www.diffusionradio.com That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, then you can explore more than 850 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com c slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.
0: Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick,